Hey everyone, this amazing ESO Network show is brought to you by our fine sponsor, Amazon.com. Please remember to shop Amazon for all your geeky needs, no matter what time of the year it is. All you need to do is go to ESOPodcast.com slash ESO Amazon, or click on the Amazon banner on the ESO Network webpage to go to our e-store. It's the best way to shop and the best way to support this program, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Okay, that's enough of me babbling for now. Now on with your regular scheduled show. Hi, this is Mark. Congratulations. You have found this amazingly awesome show. Chances are you're listening to it right now on whether it's iTunes or Stitcher Radio or some other mobile app that allows you to stream this amazingly awesome show to your ear holes. And I can't stress how awesomely amazing this show really is. But did you know that you can also catch the latest episode of this show on the Tangibound Network? That's right. Go check out TangibleNetwork.com. You can look them up, and you can listen to it right there. It's even mobile-friendly. What more could you ask for? Which means you can pull it up on your iPhone or your Android, even your Windows phone. Yeah, who has one of those? But still, point remains. You can do it. You can do it. Check it out. TangibleNetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. Check it out. I'm Chris Farrell from the official GunnaGeek.com podcast, a proud member of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're listening to now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready, because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On today's program, Josh Peterson, Chris Bonner, and I talk about the rising costs of the comic book industry and ask if it's getting to be too much for those who want to dive into the world of heroes and villains. Kevin from the Flopcast stops by to talk the latest candidates for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as we discuss who's a sure thing to get in and others who we feel are just as worthy. Then Mike Crockett and the Kingpin, Brian Malonis, from a wrestling podcast about nothing, return to talk the independent wrestling scene and why the world of sports entertainment is just as interesting outside of the WWE. Then Douglas Hoyabu from Retro City Games checks in to talk The Last Guardian for the PlayStation 4, finally hitting retail shelves. After so many years in development, will gamers still find this title a worthwhile experience? All this, plus a taste of the latest GamerCast with J. Robin Glenn, an eSports short from the Battle on the Strip, and Amazon App Store's Champions of Fire Invitational, and a highlight from the latest ESO Holiday Gifts podcast. It's another jam-packed show for you today as we delve once again into the Pop Culture Cosmos. Welcome to the Pop Culture Cosmos. And we're back once again for another edition of the Pop Culture Cosmos. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. You can catch us each week, Monday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific on the Podcast Radio Network. And also, if you can't catch us there, please try to catch us on one of our numerous audio outlets, the ESO Network, the Tangent Bound Network. And also, if you can't catch us there, or if you just want to download the show at your leisure, it always appears on the Pop Culture Cosmos iTunes channels, Stitcher, Google Play, 
and podcast.com. And of course, our home site, popculturecosmos.wordpress.com has our last three episodes. Plus, it also has Wine, Women, and Words. It also has the Ghost Toaster Saga, um, as far as that, from our good friend that's going to be here on the show in a second. Um, also, as well, it has GamerCast with J. Robin Glenn and The Trenches with Rob interviewing some of the the leaders out there and most creative people out there that he can find. We also want to welcome our latest addition to one of our audio outlets. It's Gunna Geek. And you want to check out all the great programming that they have on GunnaGeek.com. We are truly, truly thankful and blessed to be a part of that network now. So once again, it's Pop Culture Cosmos. I'm Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. And I'm here with the author of Vendetta Dark, he is the man, the myth, the legend, the director of, you know, the aforementioned Ghost Toaster Saga, and also the creator of Center Space and the upcoming Congratulations, You Suck. It's Josh Peterson. Hey, hey, guys. It's good good to be back. Yes, a little bit later than what we anticipated, but hey, you know, it, uh, it, we're on the air and it's uh, great to be here. And I've got a returning member to the program. This this gentleman here um, has been with the Game Source since uh, I want to say 2010, 2011, since the fourth episode out of there, and we're now over 153 on there. So uh, he's been with the Game Source quite a while. From a hiatus from earlier this year, it's it's our good friend, the man in the know when it comes to the Gears franchise. <laughs> Although Josh may dispute that as well. It's Chris Bonner. How are you, my friend? <laughs> I'm doing good. Thank you, Gerald. Thank you for having me back on. What was your tagline? Oh, oh. Uh, well, which one? What do you usually do as uh, an intro? Uh, God, it's been so long, honestly. I, I play it on every I, Game Source podcast. It's something to do with the world. It's just hello, world. No, what's up, world? What's up, world? God it has been so long, man. I, I'm honestly, <laughs> I, I'm baffled that I didn't even remember that. What's oh, up, world? What's up, world, indeed. Uh, <laughs> Tell me how long it's been since I've been on, on, on a show with you. It's ah. oh, Now instead, I'm just like, what's up, noobs, when I'm online? There you <laughs> <go>. <laughs> well, Killer X Wolf, indeed. Chris and I met at an unusual place at an unusual time. Uh, maybe not so unusual for Pop Culture Cosmos, but it was at a comic book store. But it was at 5.30 in the morning on Black Friday. Needless to say, getting up at X amount in the morning and, and trying to drive over there just to try and get some great deals on some lower price comics is, is something that we were looking forward to. For me, trying to get something for my girls. I wanted to get a lot of uh, stuff for my girls. And, and I know you had some things that you wanted to target as well. But Josh, the, the quarter comics, the dollar comics... The cheap comics in the day, for the most part, unless you're on a Black Friday and you're looking for, for those type of deals, seem to be gone by the wayside. And I wanted to ask you, Josh, is it becoming too expensive for people to afford to be involved in comic books? I don't actually remember a time when they were below $3. When I first started collecting, they were $3, and then they eventually moved up to like 4 or $5, but... I think that we have shows. It's it's really it's shows like Walking Dead, Big Bang Theory. That and you know Marvel, the Marvel uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Obviously, that's making comic books more popular now, and people obviously they've caught on to the fact that people 
are now buying comic books, so they want to make more money off of them. That's that's just my theory, at least. Chris, I mean, when we were there talking about it in in the midst of people just like diving through everything, you know, almost like jumping into the uh, comic book areas themselves, you know, fending off others for that, you know, uh, beloved, much beloved issues they've been they've been so long to get. My concern is is that the comic book industry is going to become out of reach for the average consumer. Do you share those same thoughts or or do you see maybe some some light at the end of the tunnel? I I just feel like if they want to get a lot of people in, it's going up in price way too much regardless of how much, you know, the the these shows like Big Bang Theory are advertising it. But it, you know, I have to look for deals like that just so that they can have those same memories that that you had when you were young, Josh, and you had when you were young, Chris, and even I had when I was young as you know, not an ardent comic book fan, but I did get comic books and I did read comic books and I knew how much that they could be as a form of entertainment. Josh, do you see somehow that the industry can can try and make it more approachable? Do you see a, a point where where the comic book industry maybe should take notice on, on where the direction is headed? Oh, yeah, I see a point. But I mean, whether or not they're going to do anything about it, that's another question in itself. Personally, like if I... If I were to, if I had never collected comic books before, and I were to go to a comic book store and look, you know, look for some comics, especially like since I got comic book OCD, where I have to read from the first issue, I can't just jump into a series. So naturally, I'm gonna want if if it's like the third issue, I'm gonna want to buy you know one, two, and three, and that could add up to like fifteen dollars. So if I were a new fan, that I could go to like Barnes and Noble, and I could pick up a book that would probably last me longer than. You know, sixty pages of comic books. It's like kind Vendetta of Dark. That's like Vendetta Dark. That's two hundred and sixty-seven. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, fourteen ninety-nine on Amazon. Two hundred sixty-seven pages. How did I know that? Well, I, I was on the ESO podcast the other day and mentioned it as a great holiday gift. So <laughs> I appreciate that. But yeah, I mean, it's just I wouldn't, as a new comic fan, like if I were to jump on right now, I it would just be way too expensive for me, especially like you know nobody. Most people under the age of 30, like, they don't have money to go out and just spend it on random things. Like, they have to really want it. So can they justify spending, you know, five to, you know, especially if you're going to buy multiple comics, so it's anywhere from, like, 5 to $40, can they justify spending that if it's, if it's going to cost so much? Now, one of the things I wanted to mention to you guys, um, and I'll start off with Chris, is, I, as far as also on that ESO podcast as a holiday gift, I mentioned probably because I, I was a little bit perturbed about what I had to do to get cheap comics for the girls was go and look into the another way to get comic books or for them to read comic books. And I noticed one of the ways that they could possibly do it is getting a subscription to Marvel Unlimited list per, per se, but that only gives you one realm of the universe. Mind you, it's there's 17,000 plus digital comics that are available at their fingertips if, if you do get a, a subscription um, but it is available for as low as 60 dollars a year if you use their code strange do you see this as the wave of the future for comic books and that it will become less reliant on the hardcover tangible fold it open it but you really don't want to read it too much so you can get it all messed <laughs> up as far as you got to keep it in the plastic type deal I mean, that also depends on who's going to be, you know, going about it. The people that have, you know, if you have an action comics, number one, you're probably have either never read it or, you know, don't want to read it because it's worth 
thousands to tens of thousands of dollars. But those are the people that want the hard comics that are going to be valuable later or that they can hand down to their kids, that kind of stuff without any problem. And th- that's a great thing. It's a, you know, tradition, uh, you know, when your dad hands you down his tools, you know, cause he used to fix the house or the car with, and you get his tools. Now you hand them down to your kids. It's the same thing. It's, it's a, it's a comic book that, you know, gave you inspiration in your life as a child. So you want it to go down to your kids. Now though, digital is, is what everyone's going to. You have digital books for school. You have digital, uh, homework that kids are doing nowadays. Why not just get their entertainment digitally as well, such as comics? It's a very cheap, very affordable, uh, way to get every comic out there. Like you said, 60 bucks a, a year, that's $5 a month. I mean, or yeah, $5 a month. So, I mean, you're going to be, I'd probably say saving about 90% on just doing it digitally, but without ever being able to hold something in your hand saying, Hey, I've had this. You could just enjoy the experience and say, Hey, I've, I've read this. I know this story almost like watching a movie, you know, I've, I've read it all, but you have no proof of it. Uh, and I understand the tangibility factors. I'm not trying to, to, you know, say it's negative, but with the rising costs of the comic book industry, it's it's just harder for the average individual to say they want to get invested and have those romantic stories that you guys had, that I had as a youth, as far as it's concerned. And like you said about the hand-me-downs from from one parent to to a child and whatnot. So we may not have those in the future, those type of memories for our children to, to pass on to, and the comic book industry as a whole may suffer. Now, Josh, uh, I ask you, uh, I mean, I, I, I know you may not be fond of what I said regarding the, the digital platform, but is it something that you could see more people going to over the course of time? Yeah, it's definitely a cheaper, uh, a cheaper alternative, but like, uh, you know, like you guys are saying, you lose the tangibility and it, you know my experience with comic book collectors is that there's two kinds there's one that likes that reads comic books for the story and there's the second kind is the, the one that picks up comic books to collect them so you know, it's gonna be a totally con- completely different landscape for comic book collectors doing it once in a while obviously for a black friday is fine for a great sale but if people have to go and start doing that on a regular basis in order to get the same type of value on comics that their parents did, that they did when they were young, then down the road, their children won't be able to, unfortunately, be able to experience those same types of great things from the comic book industry. When we come back, Kevin from the Flopcast stops by to talk about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and who should get in with this year's list of nominees. But first, a taste of the latest GamerCast episode, live from the Money Tomb. Now available on Podbean, iTunes, and popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. What have you been doing the last month? There's been a lot going on. Uh, There has certainly been a lot that's happened in the last month. All the things have happened. I've been working uh, hard. Really, really hard. Saw the new game from Tiny Titan. Can we talk about that? We can talk about that. So we're uh, we're gearing up to release our newest title, uh, Tiny Reels, on iOS and Google Play. So uh, we've just been trying to put the finishing touches on it, and we think we have something that we're pretty excited about. It's just really trying to make sure that we, we kind of get it out in the best possible 
form we can. So uh, we've had the team crunching for about a week and a half now, and uh, it's been tiring, but it's been rewarding because it's starting to come together, and we're uh, we're really excited to get people a chance to play it. It's it's honestly the game that you guys have done that I'm looking forward to the most. (coughs) You said that when uh, you stopped by the offices. I did stop by the uh, the arcade palace of seemingly people getting work done, but I'm not sure how that would happen in that cozy, lofty college like recreational space. Well, the answer is you stay until 11 o'clock at night every night. Well, hot tip. Maybe if there weren't arcade machines and pool tables, you'd get more work done and leave by 5. Uh, Jay, what have you been up to? Or what do you got going on? That people- Game-wise, not a whole lot. We've been uh, touring around a ton with Rocket Queen, who's our, which is our GNR uh, tribute band. And that's been a lot of fun. We're going to take a small break in December and... Um, get ready for the new year in February again. But yeah, I think all of us are kind of looking forward to that little month break because it's been very tiring, but a ton of fun. That's GamerCast here on the PCC, the Pop Culture Cosmos, on iTunes, and on Podbean. And we're back once again with Pop Culture Cosmos. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. Please, if you get a chance, please check us out on the Podcast Radio Network Every Monday night, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific time, the ESO Network, the Tangent Bound Network, Stitcher, iTunes, Podcast.com, GunnaGeek.com, Google Play, and of course our home site, PopCultureCosmos.wordpress.com. So I have a great guest for us here today. It's, it's a little bit different from one of the topics we usually talk about here on the show, but I thought it'd be really neat to do so and also let you fans out there know exactly how you can actually interact and then help decide this as well. It's uh, the candidates for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The best person that could help me out with this is uh, someone who really has done already a little bit more work than I have on it and has done uh, a lot of talking about the candidates themselves. And that's Kevin from The Flopcast. That's right. It's a great podcast. You can catch that out there what, every week on the ESO Network? Is that correct? Because I've heard your show on the ESO Network, and I think it pops up every week, correct? We are indeed a weekly show. Yeah, uh, welcome to the ESO Network, by the way, Gerald. It's good to have pop culture uh, as a part of the network. And uh, yeah, we've been doing the Flopcast for almost five years now, every single week. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, the easiest way to find us is uh, just go to our main website, which is flopcast.net, and that has links to everything from there. Uh, absolutely. I've, I've checked it out. Need not, not only does it reach out to your Facebook, but it reaches out to all your social media. And uh, uh, obviously, it gets great descriptions of your, your episodes as well. So getting right into it, you know, it, it seems like it's a fairly, fairly strong class this year as far as those that are eligible for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Over the years, there's been, you know, now there's quite a number of entrants into the Hall of Fame, and it's now such a diverse array of musicians. Should we still call it the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Yeah, that's that's a valid question, I think. And, and that's something that when people go through these lists every year, like, is I thought this was the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Why is Janet Jackson on the list and that kind of thing? And yeah, th- th- you can make that argument and... and uh, it's really like a popular music hall of fame more than strictly rock and roll. But I still, I like the name. I like the name rock and roll hall of fame and, and rock is certainly at its roots, but I like that it's big enough to be more inclusive of uh, the other styles of music that make up uh, 
pop music in general. So I think oh, it's oh, fine. I am as well. I just was wondering if, if over the years they maybe should transition it to something like um, the Music Hall of Fame and then because they're now incorporating other artists and, you know, obviously maybe touch on, you know, classical country, you know, I, I understand the country music hall of fame has their own, but reaching out since they're going to such a more diverse audience. And obviously this uh, list of candidates uh, speaks to that. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't see them expanding to classical anytime soon. That would be quite a leap, but, uh, and yeah, even country, the, the rock and roll hall of fame hasn't really, uh, drifted towards country very much at all, unless you go back to some of the classic acts. Johnny Cash has been inducted, and you, you, you go back that far to when country was really part of the roots of rock and roll. But uh, they've drifted so far apart since then. And I, I think it's it's such a strong brand, the name Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, that uh, even as they have become inclusive of a lot of different styles of music, I think it's always going to be called the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I have a feeling as well. Uh... Obviously, they've already bought the, the rights to it, so they can go ahead and, and uh, tout it as they please. But it's good to see that it is more than just rock and roll as far as it's concerned, especially the fact that, you know, how they want to promote it to a larger base of, of music fans out there. So if you get a chance, again, that's through either the, the ESO network, our awesome partners, or also as well, Flopcast.net. If you want to check it out, that is 235, where they dealt in detail in regards to you and your your partner, Cornflake. Yes. Um, dealt in detail regarding the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So we see the list of candidates, and I've been checking them out, and some really stick out. I mean, we talked a little bit. You mentioned briefly Janet Jackson. Obviously, of, of in my opinion, she's probably the top name on the list because she garnered the most success over the course of her career, which I understand is not the precursor for it. It's influence in the in musical industry and whatnot, but she definitely uh, uh, has made her mark in the industry. So I think if you're just basic from a music standpoint, she definitely would be my number one candidate there. But yeah, and, um, and, she, and Janet's... Um... Again, that's an example of it's not strictly rock. Janet certainly is, is bigger, I would say, in dance and pop. But uh, she was huge. She was a huge star. And and I think that the Hall of Fame tends to recognize not just who was innovative and who was influential, but also who was just culturally massive like that. That certainly uh, earns you a spot at some point. She was nominated last year as well. So this is her second nomination. And uh, she's probably going to get in, if not this time, then uh, somewhere down the line. I, I agree with you as well, but there's definitely a lot of uh, heavy influence from what I'm looking at here. Um, let's, uh, let me just run down the list of nominees for everyone out there. And before I forget, you can vote on who you think should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. If you go to www.rockhall.com slash vote, that's rockhall.com slash vote, you can vote on the nominees so check it out today. It is uh, the rock and roll inductions that you can vote on. That's rockhall.com slash vote. So we've got, um, I'm going to do this in alphabetical order. Um, the group Bad Brains, Shaka Khan, Sheik, Depeche Mode, Electric Light Orchestra, which you know everybody knows is ELO, the Jay Giles Band, Jane's Addiction, of course, Janet Jackson, who we talked about, Joan Baez, Joe Tex, Journey, Kraftwerk, MC5, Pearl Jam, Steppenwolf, 
the cars, the zombies, Tupac Shakur, and yes. When you look at that list, what are some of the names that really stick out that you feel should be in the hall this time around? Well, uh, the names that really popped out for me, Electric Lloyd Orchestra was a big one. Because I think Mm -hmm. that's one of those long overdue nominations. I I don't think they were ever nominated before. But uh, ELO, hugely popular, certainly in the 70s and uh, early 80s. And uh, so well-respected. Just people really appreciate the song craft of Jeff Lynne and ELO and the production and the instrumentation and the writing, the vocals, the, the, the huge sound that they had. And that, that's a band that really their reputation has only grown over the years. People love ELO. So yeah, I, I they, think it's long overdue. Yes, I, I couldn't agree with you more. They created such a unique sound, especially in the late 70s and early 80s with their with their music and and definitely, I think they had they had such a unique style, even for that era of of music, as far as what they what they were producing at that time. For me, I think I'm going to start off with uh, you know we talked about Jan Jackson, but Tupac Shakur. I yeah. think he you know his influence has grown uh, after you know even larger after his unfortunate death. But your thoughts on Tupac Shakur? He's certainly a huge name and has become sort of a, a legendary figure in the world of rap i can't speak to his music or his influence but so i, I, I defer to those who who know rap uh, way better than me well no and i i don't blame you a bit uh um but yes uh you know it has almost taken a life upon his own but you know his influence that he's given to the rap industry you know has seemed you know, like something something that has made it possible for him to become eligible into the uh the, the hall of fame and somebody that definitely will always uh looks like he's left his mark with the industry as a whole um what are some of the other names that you're thinking of as far as that should be in at this point in time because there are some really really quality names amongst this group absolutely i mean uh as if I had to say what, what's the, the act on this list that I think has the, the best shot at actually getting in, I'd say it was Pearl Jam. Yeah. I think that's one of those bands that as soon as they're eligible, they, they get popped right in. I know, because they created that, that along with Nirvana, that grunge sound, uh, and they basically started a movement that defines the, the 1990s. Yeah, and there, and there were all those bands, though, that the, 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 the grunge uh and that kind of 90s alt bands, and so many bands popped up at that time, but Pearl Jam was certainly one of the biggest, and and they didn't go anywhere. They stuck around, and they've been a huge band ever since, and, and really, uh, for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, here's one of those bands that really is one of the definitive rock acts of the last quarter century. I agree with you 100% on that, because I think that's just something that needs to happen to represent that era of time. Any others that that really just stick out on the page? I mean, there's a lot of hit makers there, but maybe did not leave their influence. Uh, I'm going to start off by saying Jay Giles Band, Journey, especially (laughs) Journey had a ton of hits, had a lot of hit albums, but did they really leave their mark on the music industry? Yeah, and Journey, I I would answer that with yes. I think Journey definitely deserves to get in, and I think Journey is a band that whose reputation kind of hurt them as far as their chances of getting in. I think the kind of snob elite uh, forces who tend to play a hand in, in who gets nominated, who gets elected in, kind of look down on bands like Journey. They're a little too poppy. And that that arena rock sound, like they, they made a huge pile of classic pop rock songs, but they never really got a lot of respect as a serious rock band. And I, I think they absolutely deserve a spot. They made a bunch of incredible hugely popular songs and, and uh, that you you hear all their songs to this day. They were massive. 
and uh, that that whole like the kind of the genre of arena rock, I, I like to call it, and and all those bands that kind of came up from the mid seventies through the eighties that just had that big arena sound, and you know they it was coming com- coming out of on the one hand you had the punk acts coming up in in the seventies, but then on the other hand you had these big rock bands coming up at the same time. And I, very few of them, I, I mean, Van Halen is in, but that's really a lot of those big bands of that era have not gotten in yet. And I think they should, as far as the Jay Giles band. And this is a, uh, I'm a Boston guy I'm in the Boston area now. So I was happy to see that there's two Boston bands on this list and that's the Jay Giles band and the cars were both uh, classic uh, Boston area rock bands from the seventies and eighties. And I think Jay Giles has been, they both these bands have been nominated uh, more than once now. And uh, I, I, I'm a fan of both bands. I'd like to see them both going, especially the cars. I'm just, I've been a cars fan since I was a kid. I, I saw the cars perform on their last tour back in the eighties. So I feel like I'm not being very impartial when I say that I'm kind of pulling for, for both those acts. There are probably a lot of acts that deserve to get in ahead of them. However, I'll admit, I don't think the cars as great as they were, I don't think they were super influential. They were kind of the perfect band for that era. And and so. I want to ask you this because they they kind of leaned over in the 80s from a more guitar-heavy sound to a more synthesized sound. So again, that elitist attitude may have come into play or may still come into play as far as people voting for them, even though they achieved such tremendous success. Um, you know, I, I, I cannot tell you much how much I, I love the song Drive. And it, it's just, yeah. uh, you know, that's, they're, they've got so many other big hits as well. But, you know, is it they, maybe they, that attitude in there going in there? I think a bit, yeah. I think sometimes people would think, well, the cars, they were a little goofy. when you, they, they didn't look like teen idol uh, guys. You know, they had kind of a, a quirky look to them and a quirky sound. And they made those wacky videos. People remember all those classic, you know, you might think and all the, the yes. crazy videos they made back then. But uh, they kind of, they, they were never the biggest band in the world, but everybody liked the cars, like the, the cool kids liked the cars and the, the, the people that just wanted to hear catchy songs on, on the top 40 radio, they liked the cars too. So they, they're kind of a, they were the perfect band for that era. As I said, you know, they, they started in about 1977 and they broke up about a decade later, 88, they, they, they called it quits. And uh, they just, they arrived fully formed. I like to say like the, the, you listen to the first cars album from 77 and you listen to the last cars album from 87 and the songs are interchangeable. They had their perfect sound just right out of the gate. And yeah, it was a great guitar band, but also they always made use of synthesizers and keyboards and, and drum machines and, and all the technology they could get their hands on. They loved it. They used it. And, uh, it just made beautiful music. I'm a huge Cars fan, so I'm certainly pulling for them. Who else uh, do you think sticks out? Um, now, I, Steppenwolf, because Steppenwolf, um, again, we get to a situation like the Jay Giles Band. Everybody knows Magic Carpet Ride <laughs> and, of course, Born to be Wild. But yeah. after that, it's pretty much a dark hole as far as unless you are really a Steppenwolf <laughs> fan. Yeah, definitely. That, that's all I know about Steppenwolf are the, the two songs that you just named. You can go ahead and head on over to rockhall.com slash vote. That's rockhall.com slash vote to go ahead and vote today on your choices. Kevin, I want to bring you back on the show uh, on our next episode to talk about 
there's candidates that they maybe have overlooked over the years, and then there's yes. some that they you know maybe have entered that maybe you're not quite as deserving. Uh, <laughs> but I'll, I'll get your thoughts on that on the next episode if you can come back. I would be happy to come back to uh, Pop Culture Cosmos and uh, continue this discussion. Absolutely. And that's the fun part, I think, is when we get to really start complaining, what did they get wrong? Who got snubbed? Yes, indeed. (laughs) Um, So one last time, Flopcast.net and the ESO Network. Check it out, the Flopcast. So tell us a little bit more about what the Flopcast does. The Flopcast is me and it's Cornflake. Uh, Cornflake is my lovely co-host and we cover a lot of a lot of the similar subjects that you'd hear on these sort of geek friendly uh, shows uh, that, that we have so many of on the ESO network. So we, we talk a lot about comic books, TV shows, cartoons, movies, conventions. We go to conventions all the time. So all that fun stuff, uh, music, obviously, I think we go into music a lot more on the Flopcast than most other shows on the ESO network. And, but also at the same time, I, I think that we're really the silly corner of uh, ESO Network. So uh, we, we like to keep things very light and very silly on the Flopcast. And we also, for some reason, talk about chickens all the time. Fair enough, indeed. So that's Kevin from the Flopcast. We truly appreciate you being uh, part of the Pop Culture Cosmos this week and definitely look forward to having you back on next week as well. Hey, this was fun. Always a pleasure. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much. Up next, Mike Crockett and the Kingpin, Brian Malone, stop by to talk the independent pro wrestling scene. It's coming right up. But first, we have a game source, Plus One, featuring sound bites for the Battle on the Strip Report, and the Amazon App Store's Champion of Fire Invitational Esports interviews with Christian Zamudio, Salvador Villa, and Aaron Hicks, which you can hear in the latest Game Source podcast coming to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and podcast.com later this week. Hello there. This is uh, Zamurai Chris, otherwise known as Christian Zamudio. I'm here to report on what had happened the previous week with Battle on the Strip. The event itself is a very major vibe. It's, it wasn't just like a run-of-the-mill local or anything in, in that regard. It was treated as a, uh, a Capcom Pro Tour Finals, for example, or or a major sporting event, you know, a very exclusive sort of deal. Hey, this is Aaron, OSU Water Polo. I'm Salvador, aka the Mario Party King. And I am Christian Zamudio, otherwise known as Zamorae Chris on Twitter. And we're here with Pop Culture Cosmos at Amazon's first Champions of Fire Invitational at the Paris in Las Vegas. And we just witnessed esports at its craziest. Um, There were some really great parts to it. There were some really bad parts to it being their first time out. Um, I'll let you guys start off. What did you guys think of it? I guess I can go ahead and start this off. Sure. As far as the event is concerned, um, I feel that you know it was a great first attempt uh, by Amazon in order to, to you know kind of dip their toes into the esports world. Vegas obviously is a is a prime location and it's, a, it's perfectly a perfect virtual playground for for all sorts of events like this, especially with catering towards the 18 to 32 uh, crowd that you know obviously has been uh, really difficult for almost every major company to, to market to until like this recent decade with the boom of competitive gaming otherwise yeah. it's now known as esports um the game the event itself it's um it was great just to kind of see that the whole atmosphere of a professional setting being broadcast on tv and simulcast on you know on twitch i thought that was the event was pretty cool 
um, the competitive side. There were some like really bad examples of what how esports can can end up being. It's some really great examples, and uh, we can go over that later if you want. Um, but Sal, to you, you know, what do you think? So yeah, overall, I mean, I was there for, for throughout the whole event. Um, overall, at the beginning, it definitely started up a bit slower uh, than I was hoping for. Uh, this was probably just due to the fact that this was their first attempt. You weren't you weren't going to expect such an a crazy turnout unless like you really marketed it. Uh, like from the get-go. But uh, overall, I thought it went really well, especially towards reaching uh, quarter, around the 16 semifinals and the finals. I thought that's when like it really started to get intense. You really started to see the players showing off their best skills um, in these games, which I think for most people, they still would assume mobile gaming, uh, mobile games are still more casual-based. But no, you could really see a lot of like technique that can sometimes be involved in some of these games. And Overall, the crowds got really into it, especially yeah. during the finals. With the pretty much every yeah. single game, with like Box got a really hot. Ball Street was going to like the fifth game. That was amazing. And then that, yeah, they and went then to the fourth game that was sick. Yeah, that Fruit Ninja onslaught was like insane. I don't, I've never seen anyone pull up fruit like techniques for Fruit Ninja like that. Besides Box Box, so far, like I saw some crazy things the that I was never expecting. We're talking about techniques for Fruit Ninja. For more, check out the latest Game Source podcast featuring reports from the Battle on the Strip and the Amazon App Store's Champion of Fire Invitational with Christian Zamudio, Salvador Villa, and Aaron Hicks available later this week on Google Play, Stitcher, iTunes, and Podcast.com. Once again, we're back for the Pop Culture Cosmos. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. Once again, catch us as well uh, ten, excuse me, on the Podcast Radio Network, uh, 10 p.m. Eastern, Monday night, 7 p.m. Pacific. Uh, really appreciate, John, you, you, you know, allowing us the opportunity to, to be on the network. Uh, we're also on the ESO network. We're also on the Tangent Bound network. We appreciate also being on those networks as well. Uh, Stitcher iTunes, also as well, Google Play, and of course, uh, podcast.com and our home site at uh, popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. So some guys I have again here this week, uh, they were awesome on last week's podcast. Um, um, These guys are from the wrestling podcast about nothing, and if you haven't caught it yet, you should. Um, It's uh, also on the podcast radio network. So, John, you've done a great job in in getting these shows, including this one right here. That's available on Tuesday night, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. We both got that 10 p.m. time slot. uh, I think it's kind of cool. Yes, indeed. But today, again, I have Mike Crockett and Brian Malonis. Guys, it's great having you on again. Um, I know last week's discussion on the WWE was definitely uh, awesome indeed. You guys have some great inside thoughts. And anybody out there who did not get a chance to listen to it on our previous episode, you must take a listen to it indeed because they were had very insightful thoughts on what it's like to be – you know, as far as not only working for the WWE, being as far as a, a referee and a professional wrestler, but also as well their insight into the WWE brand itself. We delve uh, deep into it, so I appreciate you guys doing that. Sure, no problem. Once again, first off, uh, Brian or Mike, uh, I want to ask again, uh, I know uh, uh, plugging uh, stuff is, is something that goes along with the territory, taken from someone who knows, <laughs> but uh, how best, first off, to get a hold of you guys is awesome. 
awesome show and also how can they best to get a hold of you guys if they have any questions well we are the wrestling podcast about nothing you can find us on itunes podbean stitcher uh, google play uh bdaradio.com is our kind of our home base so make sure you check that out that i have a lot of uh, wrestling and mma news on there um and we're on Twitter at the WPAN on Twitter, Facebook.com slash the WPAN. Um, yeah, we're everywhere, just like you, Gerald. We're everywhere out there in the uh, in the cosmos. There you go. We're in the cosmos <laughs> indeed. Uh, we appreciate again everyone out there listening. Um, it is truly an honor for us, to, uh, both our shows, to to have such great listeners. And if you can. First off, uh, yes, let everybody know about the Pop Culture Cosmos, but definitely, definitely, if they are a professional wrestling fan and, or if they want to get involved and more uh, knowledgeable about the professional wrestling scene, they need to listen to the wrestling podcast about nothing because it is an awesome podcast indeed. Guys, what is the health of the industry as a whole when you step outside the WWE? And Brian, as someone who actually you know uh, performs in the ring, you, you talked last week about, about one of your, your most recent matches against one of the major independent wrestler na- wrestling names in the industry, Chris Hero. Um, what is your thought about the wrestling industry as a whole here in 2016? Well, I, I mean, I I think it's amazing. Um, uh, it's funny. While WWE's overall numbers are are actually down i think ratings wise um i think the industry as a whole is is healthier than it's been in a long time um when i i broke in in 2001 um there was only one place to make any sort of money and that was wwe and, and I, I worked a lot of um really bad shows uh, and locally here for uh no money or maybe 10 or 15 dollars in front of 15 or 20 people um but now there's been sort of like this like renaissance on uh, the independent level um, where guys are guys are actually making a living not working for WWE and not working for TNA. And that's that's kind of incredible. I mean, guys like Chris Hero, uh, like you just mentioned, and then uh, the Young Bucks. Uh, and then guys are going overseas again. For a long time early in my career, uh, Japan had stopped bringing in uh, American wrestlers unless they were, like, really well-established guys. Um, and again, the independents are just—they're just blowing up. You got places like, um, like the company uh, I wrestle for quite a bit, uh, Beyond Wrestling. Um, there, out uh, out in L.A. area, there's Pro Wrestling Guerrilla, um, Chicago, um, uh, you know, AAW. Um, there's all these big independents that are just uh, just blowing up, and they're drawing, you know, five, seven hundred people, a thousand people, fifteen hundred people. Um, you know, it's it's crazy. It's kind of a it's an amazing thing for for a guy that's been in my position um, for so long um, to see because again it was so bleak when I first started uh, on the independence and now it's you know um, I mean it's it's amazing it's it's absolutely awesome. Oh, that's awesome indeed. That that's truly great, especially for someone in your industry that really you know finding the work and having the work readily available is definitely uh, awesome. Um, I, you know, I, obviously many people are familiar with Lucha Libre as far as, uh, you know, the industry down there in, in Mexico and whatnot, as far as being, you know, always being viable, but to an extent up and down, uh, even as the industry flows, um, right now in, in Europe, uh, you know, one can say that, that some of the largest and most vocal crowds are in England and Ireland because of the, the recent independent shows, uh, that have been there, uh, Japan, 
um, which, you know, in the 90s, I think uh, many consider it its heyday with all the the organizations that were there. Um, still today is still a viable and strong product as far as the, the like you said, the number of wrestlers now that are that are coming in. Um, I, I think it's uh, Gaijin as far as the uh, foreign wrestlers are concerned. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. So I always want to make sure I, I pronounce that correctly. <laughs> Before we get into the enigma, shall I say, we'd be so kind as to say that is TNA at this point in time. Uh, let's go into Ring of Honor, which uh, I guess uh, you know some fans may be familiar with. Uh, a lot of talent has has come through the ranks, like you said, uh, Brian. Since the time that you've been in the business uh, to the WWE, uh, what are your thoughts today about Ring of Honor, Mike? Um, as far as its product is concerned, and and where do you think it is going forward? Well, Ring of Honor and TNA. I mean, I'm not quite sure I'm considered them independent just because they have. Um the platform with television i mean tna is on a show a network called. well let's say independent from wwe How okay about that? yeah uh, tna is on pop and and roh has uh, a number of uh television outlets they're actually owned by a conglomerate uh called sinclair broadcasting that owns a bunch of tv stations across the nation so they're all over the place as well but uh Ring of Honor has, I mean, if you want to talk about a feeder system like uh, NXT has become, probably the original feeder, feeder system for WWE, especially before NXT was fully established, was Ring of Honor. Uh, guys like CM Punk, like Samoa Joe, um, uh, Seth Rollins as well, were guys that were established first uh, nationally with Ring of Honor. And, I mean, they're still a viable organization they are doing very well and actually my friend here brian has uh done work for them recently and um i mean things are looking up for ring of honor they have their biggest show i believe i probably it's probably happened by the time this comes out uh gerald but they they do a, a huge show in new york city every year uh in december called final battle and they're on Traditional pay-per-view, we talked about the WWE Network last week, uh, how the WWE has kind of gotten away from pay-per-view. And so, yeah, they're kind of taking the, um, you know, there is a kind of a hole without WWE getting the numbers in, in pay-per-view. So, uh, you know, the, the pay-per-view outlets kind of brought Ring of Honor on board and said, hey, we need, we have this need for more live pro wrestling. So Ring of Honor is, has been doing uh, every couple of months a pay-per-view and they they're, they've been doing very well. There's actually the last pay-per-view was here locally here in Massachusetts where me and Brian are. And, yeah, I mean, Ring of Honor has been fantastic. And, Brian, you have uh, done work with them recently, correct? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I've been uh, working as, as an extra talent uh, with there, and I also did a, uh, a tryout camp with them. Um, so, yeah, I think I think what Ring of Honor uh, has done and is doing uh, for the business is, is – tremendous i mean just again we talked about last episode we talked about cultivating talent i mean ring of honor um you know before the nxt system was cultivating talent better than uh, than anybody really and they and they still continue to do that yeah they, i mean they're, they're doing unbelievable things and competition is good in wrestling uh and the way they present their product where wwe presents it as more entertainment uh based they they try to present their product more as you know as a legitimate sport it leads me to the the enigma known as TNA. TNA uh, was a brand that first owned by Jeff Jarrett. Now, you know now currently, well, it's not currently owned by Dixie Carter, but for uh, many years owned by Dixie Carter. As far as 
bringing that brand to national prominence at one time was the the major uh, number two ne- uh, promotion uh, in the world behind the WWE, or or many thought of it as such. Um, your guys' opinion on where TNA is at now, and do you see a strong and viable future for the company, even throughout all of its, uh, you know, legal entanglements and um, uh, tenuous future, or actually, you know, recent tenuous past that it did have over the course of the past 18 months? Well, yeah, it's kind of been a, a comedy of errors for uh, TNA for the past couple of years. Uh, if people don't, well, that's why that's why I kind of yeah. chuckled when I have to say that name. So you'll forgive me as far as it's concerned, and I apologize to anyone out there if they're big TNA fans. But you know, you, you got to say that even the most ardent TNA fans have said that they've not had the most uh, uh, smooth recent past. No, it's definitely understandable the the chuckling. There's been a lot of of crazy things that have gone on. Uh, if people don't know, in the, the past couple of years, they were on. They're on Spike TV for a number of years, which is a you know a huge network. And there was something that happened with Dixie Carter, who was the the owner of the company. Uh, like an an email got out that was um, that that really uh, put her in a negative light. And when it came up to time for to renew the contract. Uh, Spike TV said no thanks, so they lost their their television contract and ended up going on to Destination America, which is a uh, in the Discovery family of networks, but is a smaller network. Um, and they were on there for a year, and something else happened. They they didn't really um, get the numbers that they were hoping for. So uh, once that contract was up, they ended up uh, being done with dis- the. Uh, destination america and now they're on pop tv which is the former tv guide channel and if you know what you hear is true they're not getting paid any money the the big thing for wwe uh in terms of you know making money is for the tv rights fees and they are wwe is making millions upon millions of dollars just by giving a station the right to air their product and and if I may, if I may interject, that's the reason we talked about last week why there's so many hours of wrestling uh, in the WWE's case. That's why, pretty much, why with the ad rates and and fees that they get is really why they're on so many hours on television. Correct? Right. Yeah. Definitely. And that's why the you know, Raw is now three hours long. And everyone, you know, everyone to a man, probably I think even Triple H has said this that they'd rather be two hours because it's a tighter show. It is. You know, it's uh, you know for the shorter attention span these days, two hours is probably optimum. But the, that third hour gets them so much more money and so much more in in ad ad you know ad advertising money. So it's they're kind of stuck at this three hours. But yeah, that and going back to TNA, they they got a good amount of money from Spike. They got a little amount of money for Destination America. And now, if you if you believe what is said online. They are getting no money, and they're splitting the ad costs with uh, with Pop TV. So they are not, um, in terms of they're they're not a, uh, they're not doing very well. And I mean, if you talk about TNA, they haven't been doing well for a very long time, and people have kind of been predicting their demise for at least what seven, eight years now. It and it hasn't happened. Which I mean, they've lasted longer than something like ECW, which has been. Which was, you know, has been vaunted as as a great promotion. They they've lasted longer. They've outlasted all these other promotions. 
I mean, not to cut you off, Mike, but have they lasted because they've been a successful business entity or have they lasted because they actually did have a very successful financial backer? Um, I mean, I, I've been accused by Mike uh, of being a TNA hater um, on, on our show. <laughs> well, it, it's not it's not hard, Brian, to say that because the fact that, you know, they've done so many things in a fashion that that many have left me many people including myself scratching their head but uh you know guys uh and i'll start with you brian what's your outlook for tna and i i know as someone who has been negative on the product as as many have but what is your your outlook going forward in 2017 with this new ownership change and, and you know a roster that that may be considered very tenuous at best well, I, I think it's probably going to be more of the same. I think they'll they'll continue to survive as long as they have TV. Uh, if they ever lose the TV deal, which, I mean, again, if you believe what you read online, it sounds like it's a pretty sweet deal for the network because uh, they're essentially getting free programming. Um, but as long as they have TV, they're going to they're gonna be around. Are they are they viable? Um, I, I don't know. I hope they become viable, but I, I don't necessarily think it's going to happen. I think it's a big opportunity for Ring of Honor here in the United States to to leap up and, and become that solid number two that really has been lacking in the United States since since WCW went away. That leads me to another question. In your guys' opinions, is there any any other outside of ROH, you know, entities out there in the North American scene that that could maybe you know gain some more prominence within the industry? Uh, Lucha Underground, which is currently on the El Rey Network, but it is maybe Lucha Underground something that that may uh, come onto the scene even on a larger basis, or is there any other picks that you guys might have in mind? I mean, the one the one I kind of think, um, and they're not an American company, is New Japan Pro Wrestling. There's rumblings that they want to tour the United States at some point as their own entity, not with uh, Ring of Honor, but they want to do New Japan shows. There's also they already have the the show on Access, um, which is is all old content. But um, I think I think there, I've seen rumblings of perhaps them trying to um, have a U.S. series, uh, U.S. television series with with much newer content. Um, so I, I think that's the one really um, to keep an eye on here is, is New Japan starting to make um, inroads into you know into to North American market. I'm not sure how Mike feels, um, but well, actually, there is this uh, thing called Flow Slam. They, it is a over the top service uh, subscription sh- service, and they are signing up uh, promotions like Evolve, uh, Beyond Wrestling, which Brian is a part of. But if you want to lo- look up and see what they're doing with uh, independent promotions, I mean that is nothing but good news for guys working independence. I mean, more money to go around. Definitely. Yeah. I think that's, those are the big promotions that could be viable uh, entities going forward. Well, you guys have done a great job these past two weeks enlightening so many people as far as, you know, our, our listeners out there in the cosmos about the world of sports entertainment, the world of professional wrestling, whatever you want to call it, um, it's it's known by different names now in this at this point in time. But it is still a great watch indeed. As someone who has followed the industry, I want to thank you both for your contributions to it. I know it's it's definitely something that that both you have have, have tried very hard to to you know gain a, a great level of achievement in and it is not without appreciation from the fans out there such as myself again uh it's the guys from the wrestling podcast about nothing it's it's mike crockett and brian malonis guys um 
again, I know uh, shameless plug time, but uh, I really want everybody to know out there how to get a hold of your show and how to get best to get a hold of, of you guys and what you're doing, you know, the matches, Brian, that you're in, how best to actually see and, and hear all the great things that both you guys are doing. It's a wrestling podcast about nothing. It is on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, Google Play. Uh, our home base is kind of bdaradio.com. A lot of wrestling and MMA news on there. And uh, in terms of social media, we're on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. It's all the WPAN. In terms of my friend, the Kingpin, Brian Malonis here, uh, how do they get in contact with you? Uh, follow me on Twitter at Brian Malonis. Uh, last name spelled M I L O N A S. And then, uh, if you, you know, I have a YouTube channel, uh, Brian Malonis. Search me there. Uh, I wrestle. Like I, said, I wrestle for a company called Beyond Wrestling, who has a uh, amazing online service where you can find matches I've had recently against guys like Chris Hero, Keith Lee, JT Dunn. Um, also, if you want to find Atlantic Pro Wrestling on YouTube, uh, lots of matches uh, that I've had there. But uh, yeah, but I, I, you know, I, I think the best place is probably Twitter. If you want to interact with me, reach out to me. Uh, I'm always tweeting, retweeting, posting stuff how to how to see matches of mine. So um, if you go to my if you go to my YouTube page, you might even find a cool clip of me in the ring with John Cena and Vince McMahon. And again, it is my sincerest hope that you guys will will uh, you know come on to the podcast again. And and my true appreciation to both of you for taking the time to talk to us these past two weeks about the professional wrestling scene. Anytime, Gerald. Thank you very much for having us. It's been great. Appreciate it. Take care. Thanks to the guys from the Wrestling Podcast About Nothing for joining us. But before we get to Douglas Hoibu from Retro City Games sharing his thoughts on The Last Guardian, the latest ESO podcast shares thoughts, including some from me, on the best holiday gifts to get that pop culture fan in your life. You can either choose one or, or they'll assign you one based on your tastes and your interests. And um, I just thought it was a, a, a cool use of technology. Mm-hmm. That is awesome. That Absolutely. is really cool. Do they have any that specialize in nerd rooms? I'm sure, I'm sure they do. <laughs> the way up with how big nerd culture is right now, I can't see how they wouldn't. <laughs> you just tell them I need a room where my Boba Fett nutcracker is going to be the centerpiece. And <laughs> <laughs> They go to town. Mm-hmm. They fly over with their drone. <laughs> any any room that I'm in automatically becomes the nerd room. I think that's probably true for all of us. Yeah, I was going to say well hello. Said, well said. Exactly. That's the ESO Holiday Gift Podcast, available today at ESOPodcast.com. And we're back once again on the Pop Culture Cosmos. And now we're going to be talking about a game which uh, for many uh, – has been uh, up and down. Uh, it's been a saga, I think is probably the best way to say it. It's been a game that most people, like myself, thought would never see the light of day. That game, the enigma for Sony, which is The Last Guardian. Your thoughts on The Last Guardian and its future success, now that it's finally coming out, we think, or shall So game. when Sony announced it, um, I was extremely hyped for it i just started playing shadow of the colossus at the time and uh was liking it wasn't loving it so i watched the e3 announcement obviously was it last year year before it was not this not this last e3 the one before that watched that and um the one that posted up 2016 you know yeah exactly and that didn't yeah 
it's barely gonna happen. <laughs> um, but I, I was I was super excited for it. Um, I, I the gameplay. I was a little bummed that they showed what they did. I didn't really like. I don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen it. But the the twist, not twist, but I'll say there's more of them. That was the weird thing that I was like. That's kind of a weird thing to to show when you kind of thought this was an exclusive type thing. Yeah. I hope that was vague enough, but people still understood. Um, so I've kind of avoided the rest of it, like the plague, because anybody who hasn't played like a Shadow of the Colossus or Eco before, they're very ambient. It's it's very much about the experience, not about it's it's not about what's actually happening. It's you filling in the gaps. It's it's very much your journey. Yes, and that's what I'm hoping to get out of this. So I've kind of avoided everything else, like the plague. I hope it's the same. I hope it's that same level of immersion. I hope I, I can get emotionally involved. I think it'll sell well. I know um, from friends I've talked to that work at GameStop and stuff, they say it's mixed. It's people are hyped about it, but are not really pre-ordering it. So I don't know if that's good or bad, if that means people just don't want to... I think there's still that stigma that it, it might not come out, even though they have a date and everything. People are still, I think, hesitant about it. So I think that's going to do it for us um, on this episode of Pop Culture Cosmos. Once again, we are available every week, Monday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific on the Podcast Radio Network. Again, give them a big shout-out because they are our largest volume network. Also as well, the Tangent Bound Network and ESO Network, those two great networks which have a large volume as well. We just truly appreciate being part of those networks just as much, and we truly thank them for being part of their team. Um, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, Podcast.com, and popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. You can always catch our episodes as there as well. So for us right here, and then once again, Retro City Games, robmccallum.films.com, Wine, Women, and Words on YouTube, Mario Party Wars on Facebook, Game Source on Facebook and Twitter, and of course, my good friend Josh. I got to plug Vendetta Dark one last time <laughs> on Amazon and his Ghost Toasters videos on popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. So for Douglas Hoyaboo, and also as well, me, Gerald Glassford, who's going to get killed here in a minute. Uh, this is the Pop Culture Cosmos. want to thank you again for listening. want to thank you again for watching. It's a beautiful day in paradise. And here's hoping you have yourselves a great day. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at ESONetwork.com. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com